Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week, we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my God, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to Going There, the crossroads where music and mental health meet. Presented by the Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live, this series is made possible by the fine folks at Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. So today we are talking with Jillian Medford of the band Ian Sweet. Reviews of her music talk about how she turns anxiety into great songs that follow their own dreamy logic and how she explores the darkened corners of dream pop. And now Ian Sweet has a new album with such a cool title, Show Me How You Disappear. What a fantastic title to lead into the discussion we had about struggling with early trauma that influenced her mental health throughout her life. Now on the Going There podcast, our goal is to have tough conversations to address important issues so that we can learn from each other, challenge the stigma of mental illness, and get the care we need. And during our conversation, Jillian talked about how this trauma manifested, whether through more steady anxiety, anger, or panic, it felt like it was always there. And one of the main feelings we have when we experience trauma is that we want to disappear. The emotional pain and the confusion of how to cope can be so overwhelming that we just need to escape. And Jillian talks about searching for the right therapy to manage her mental health and how the COVID pandemic has complicated that already difficult process. So let's go there and listen to what Jillian has to say. Jillian, welcome to the Going There podcast. Hello. So you and I have been talking for a little bit. And one of the things that we talked about was, you know, maybe starting from early on when you first started noticing that you had symptoms of anxiety and you actually described it as seeming like it was expressing in anger. Yes. Very seeming like a very angry child. I would like throw things at my siblings and <laughs> act out quite frequently. Just had a lot of pent up something that I needed to let out, but I wasn't totally aware of what it was till a bit later on. And that's something that happens for a lot of people, especially when they're kids. And I think that one of the things that's so tough is that anxiety, depression, whatever it may be, can manifest in so many different ways in right. people in general, but kids in particular, because you, you don't even know what it is that you're feeling. Yeah. You don't know how to express it to your parents either. It's foreign. You know, you've never heard the word anxiety. You've never heard the word depression at like 11 years old. I mean, people now, nowadays, people are probably talking to their kids a lot more about that sort of thing earlier on. But yeah, I, it was very foreign to me. Do you remember how you thought about it or how you described it? Um, I mean, it wasn't so much a descriptor as just actions. I don't think I knew it had the, had the words. I was like, just always acting out. And I, I just didn't have any words to describe the feelings. Like I just had a, a rock in my chest or something and was a little bit of an ang angsty one. But yeah, of course, my parents were like, yeah, you're a little shit. 
<laughs> is what they thought. But I mean, I was a little shit, but there was a deeper reason for that. That's one of the things that's also tough is because when you're going through something at any age, especially when you're a kid and it's like, you don't know how to do it. Then like people, the first thing that people think is not necessarily, oh, they're struggling. They go right mm-hmm. to little shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. I mean, I have, I have a puppy now and I, I relate. <laughs> I'm like, You're, why are you destroying everything? Well, it's a bit different, but. So at some point it sounded like someone that you worked with identified it more as anxiety as, as the underpinning of what, what was presenting as anger. Right. Yeah. So, you know, my, my, my mom particularly wanted to get me some help. She's a big believer in therapy and at a young age, she was all for that, but it wasn't that I went to like more of like a anger. Or I don't, I don't really remember like what he was licensed in, but it was more of a chi- child psychologist who was, he sort of identified after I was speaking to him a lot about what was, he would ask me like, what's going on in your household? Like, what are your parents like? And I think after a lot of like pullback and being like, oh, I don't want to talk to you about this. I, you know, a few sessions in, I was like, this is what's going on with my dad. He's like this, this like, and then I act this way and I follow sort of his lead weirdly. And, um, I think he more so like identified was like a little bit trauma related, a little bit of anxiety, not knowing how to express what I was seeing, what I was experiencing. So between my parents and how my dad acted with me. So that was a little bit more clear. Yeah, I I can't really remember. I think I just ended up sort of mellowing out in time, probably because I started playing music and writing songs, honestly. But it became a little bit more clear to my mom, at least that I was struggling with, with more anxiety based things than just like, an all out acting out 11, 12 year old. Do you feel comfortable talking about just the experiences of trauma? Because we, we can, but we don't have to, obviously. <clears throat> I've actually had like a few trauma experiences throughout my life. But yeah, most notably, like growing up, I had a little bit of a volatile father and he wasn't the best at expressing himself and he had problems with alcohol classic dad stuff (laughs) and it came out in different ways and it was always unexpected you really didn't know what you were gonna get or what was gonna cause the blow up so I was always trying to be really careful but then it's weird that I ended up sort of acting like him in certain ways like I would follow his mannerisms almost he, he wasn't so nice sometimes, let's say that. But that has carried on throughout my life strong into all my relationships, into music, into how I deal day to day with people. It's very much there, my relationship with my father. You know, one of the things that you talked about was the lack of predictability. And that's something that so many people talk about, you know, especially if there's substance use or if there's Mm. anger in the family system it's bad enough that it happens but what in some cases makes it that much worse is that you just don't know when it's going to happen so you have to be perpetually activated and your your anxiety has to you have to be constantly on edge right in some ways but the weird thing is i would try to test it all the time 
I was like wanting it to happen in a weird way. I'd be like drumming at the dinner table with forks and knives and he'd be like, stop. I'd be like, no. And just keep doing it louder and louder and louder. And like, he'd be like, stop it right now. And then I would, I would just, it, it would just be a back and forth battle. And then boom, done. Like you're out, you're upstairs. Like, here we go. So I was always testing the limits and I was that kid. My sister, never that kid. Me, I don't know why. I was just always like seeing how far I could take it before something would happen. It's very strange. Not necessarily though, because and then one of the things that's so tough about that kind of circumstance is that because there's a negative outcome, there's that natural tendency to then frame anything that you did that was a part of it as strange, like you're saying. And, and you know, I mean, what, what are you talking about? You know, you're testing boundaries. Mm-hmm. And if there's something that's lurking, I, I'm not saying this is what you were necessarily doing, but I certainly can imagine a kid wanting to be like, well, I'm trying to figure this thing out. Like, what's going to trigger it? Do, do I have any control here? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't have a say in it, but I was trying to be a little bit more in control and, and nobody really was. My mom couldn't get it under control. My sister couldn't and, and I couldn't, but I was trying to be the one to figure it out. But um, through time, I do want to say my relationship with my dad is like incredible now. I love him and he's gotten a lot of help and a lot better. And good thing my family believes in therapy. <laughs> How did the anxiety then play out for you? And I'm, you know, and especially with, as I'd be curious as things got better, I'm kind of curious how that played out, but before they got better, how did it manifest for you? Like, was it a more general thing? Was it more panic? I think I went many years without having any panic attacks or anything like that. Probably wasn't until high school that sort of thing happened. My parents like sort of separated when I was in high school, when I was like 15 or so. So things, you know, progressively got worse with my dad. And then it was like all out, like you're out of here. So they separated and my sister was also out of the house because she was in college. So it's just my mom and I. And I think that's when things started to happen because I was like finally settling in and being like, my dad's not here anymore. My mom is like trying to keep things cool and not really, I know she's hurting so bad, but we're not really like talking about it that much. So I started um, dealing with like dizzy spells. Like I was always randomly getting dizzy, like in class when I was in class in high school, I just like start feeling like my body was like going like this and I was like gonna faint and like all this stuff and I thought I had something wrong with me like I thought it was a brain tumor I thought of course like and also I'm a little bit of a hypochondriac so I was like I have a brain tumor there's something wrong with my head I have vertigo whatever and then went to see literally so many doctors actually my mom took me to like a ear nose and throat a neurologist like all these people to see I was taking like cat scans MRIs like I got to that point where I was just dizzy constantly like I would wake up dizzy like room spinning type stuff and after a long time of that happening I think I found the right therapist or something and we talked through it and It was like, this is a really intense version of like anxiety. Just you wake up and the only thing you can think about is how you're dizzy. So then you make it worse. And then you're like tricking yourself into (laughs) people like. I do. 
people like convince themselves of really wild things when they're dealing with anxiety their body can play any sort of trick on them so that was really intense and I was just 24 7 like didn't feel right so that kind of made sense it it manifested for years and then came out in that way yeah you know the things that you're talking about that's it's so tough for people to wrap their heads around because in theory okay there's before things got better with your dad you know there was this tension and these anger and okay so but now the stressor in theory is removed but now you're left with figuring it all out and well, the right. thing that you're talking about of especially as a young person being like i know there's something up here but i can't talk about it so i can't express it i don't exactly know how to feel it the tension that comes from that and there's so many studies on suppression and avoidance it sends your body and mind and and spirit to a certain extent in a spiral like you just start yeah. spinning out of control because all that energy it's like you're trying to hold on to and you're trying to contain and you know what you're talking about unfortunately is what happens for a lot of people which is just that it manifests physically mm. in these horrific panic attacks right right yeah it, it, it's nuts i was having like a 24/7 panic attack that i didn't it didn't feel like panic like it wasn't like oh my god what's going on this is crazy it was just like this very low grade like something's wrong in my body and it was all the time I ended up actually talking to a doctor and he put him, put me on Lexapro, like a really low dose of Lexapro at that point. And it helped a lot. And I was not feeling as dizzy for a lot of years, actually. <laughs> it was okay. I didn't feel like I was having lots of panic attacks. Even when I went to college, I was kind of like doing my music, focusing really hard on school at Berkeley and didn't really have the time to panic. Like I was just too busy doing things, but it always happens to me that the moment I relax or the moment I don't have a million things going on, that's when it all hits. Yeah. And that's, that can be such a scary feeling, you know, because so many people assume, you know, it's the same thing that you were talking about within a family. It's like, you know, you kind of assume, Oh, I come home, you know, you go into your room. If you're, if you're lucky enough to have your own room and it's like, okay, this is my safe space. And mm -hmm. then when you have that kind of anger, that kind of, you know, if there's, there's substance abuse in the house, all of a sudden it's like, okay, nothing's safe. And then similarly, people rely on when they can kind of close their eyes and just relax that everything's going to be calm. And mm. when it's not, and when that's when the time things flood, then it's like, well, what do you do then? Right. For years, I was afraid to like sit down and relax. I think that's why for so long, like touring was so important to me and it, the moment I stopped touring, I was like, well, what is my, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? I'm freaking out. I can't relax. Uh, if I would get off a tour I'd, and I'd come home and I'd wake up the next morning, I had to leave the house immediately. I had to like be outside all day. Like there was no, no option else. I would just, I'd be inside, like staring at a wall, freaking out, getting a panic attack. But I, I often didn't let myself have the panic attack. And so that's, I think, why, honestly, just last year, I had like the worst, most intense year of my life, because for so long, I didn't let myself have anxiety. Like I was like, you can't, you absolutely can't, you don't have the time, you don't have the energy to have this crazy thing happen. A couple of the reasons why people may have less panic when they're on the road is one, like you're saying, it's 
you just you're just running, 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 so you can kind of avoid. But right. then by the same token, is there something about doing what you feel like you love and were born to do? Does that in and of itself kind of create more of a calm? No, absolutely. Like playing a show is is a therapy session in itself. Playing live is its is its own healing thing. So it's all worth it. Even sitting in the van for eight hours and you play for a half hour, an hour, and you're cured of whatever was happening the day before. That's very true. At least for me, that's how I feel. And I, so I'm addicted to that. I was like really addicted to being like, okay, I can feel like shit all day, but then I'll have that hour where everything goes back to normal. But a lot of stuff weird did happen with my band that caused me a lot of anxiety where I had a part ways with my drummer who was in the band for about three years and it was very intense just you know similar to a situation with my dad he had very bad substance abuse problems and as much as I wanted to help him and I felt for him like I know that type of person I want to be there I'm really empathetic to that but it passed it passed a level of like this is your your issue you need to deal with it became the band's responsibility and at that point I was like this this is my whole life this doing this thing is my whole life I can't jeopardize this and and, you know it was more than that it was was a lot of other things between the two of us that were going was going on but at that point with the band stuff that was a huge crazy moment for me as far as having to deal with lots of things on my own and be less reliant on the other people that were there for me during during tours like I yeah I had to face the facts and just do it on my own and figure that all out and that was like a big learning curve because I had started playing with this drummer when I was 19 and he was like 26, 27. And I was so young and so impressionable. And I was like getting manipulated into changing my music. And, but I, but that's all I knew. Like I was like, you're, but I didn't realize I was being taken advantage of and all this stuff. And then when it ended up, we parted ways, I was like the silence again. I was like, what do I do? I know this is the right decision, but do I even trust myself anymore? Like I haven't, been able to write a song without this person hovering over my back for the last few years. So am I even, is this, am I even good at this? It was a lot of, that was a lot of questioning and anxiety there. And I ended up, I, I couldn't do it on my own, but, and I have been doing it on my own ever since. It just, lots of relationships in my life are very similar to my dad and some classic stuff. <laughs> The most natural basic instinct you have is you want to just keep giving of yourself to mm-hmm. someone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, the, the, it, it feels like very much uh, a natural dichotomy. Like you, you, you help someone in need and you don't help someone that's not in need. And the idea of only helping someone to a point, mm-hmm. you know, and knowing where it's like, okay, my helping is now potentially making the problem worse or it's dragging me down. Yeah, it's just not like, it's not natural to, to think like that. Right. I think a, a lot of my childhood, too, was my mom accidentally enabling my dad. Like she thought she was helping. But in a, in a twisted world, she was enabling. And I do the same. I know that about myself. I don't mean to, but I, I'm a people pleaser a lot, too. And I don't want any anyone to be upset with me. And I want everyone to be like, we're good. We're good. We're good. And 
I end up enabling instead of like actually trying to break the pattern and you know at least I, I know I know that about myself I, I guess my mom's big on um Al-Anon <laughs> well, so. it, everyone's got the judgments about that you know oh you know they put labeling oh you're enabling oh you should do this mm. you should do that and it's like you don't know how the movie's supposed to end you know like like take mm. like walk the line which I don't know if you saw that the Johnny Cash movie yeah. it's like you know, like in theory, that was a happy ending, but mm-hmm. you could have easily made the case at multiple points that, you know, June should have walked away from that. Was she enabling mm-hmm. it? Was she turning around? It's like, but, and, and in that situation, it's like her, in theory, her, if, if, you know, if, depending on the accuracy of the movie, it's like her love of him is what ultimately saved him. You don't know what the right thing to do a lot of the time is because you think to yourself yeah. like, well, if I keep loving this person, and I keep hanging in there with them, maybe they will eventually get better. You know, is that the test? Right. right. And so right. It's, I think, I think the biggest thing for people, if you're going through that is listen, like don't judge yourself. Like everybody out here knows the exact right thing to do. Cause a lot of people I feel like do act like that when they're looking in on other people's situations, you know, Oh, right. you're this, you're that. And it's like, it's, it's hard. It's always, it's hard to know what the right <clears throat> thing is. I appreciate you saying that. <laughs> I do definitely put labels on myself too. And that's not, I tried my best. Like I'm a, I'm a good person. I'm always like, want to do what's best for other people, not necessarily always for myself, but I try, I think I'm doing an all right job, but you can get lost. And I, and I often get lost in other people's um, problems. want to fix that. Yeah. It's like, and you know, for people pleasing, you know, years of years of people pleasing, like I definitely... It's exhausting, isn't it? It's well, that's well, that's that's the thing. Like, I I didn't stop people pleasing because I like suddenly developed a spine or I had some right, I just couldn't do it anymore. At some point, you just realize, like, oh man, I've been down this road, it's 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 gonna leave you feeling just like hollow. Yeah, well, I think Corona has been a big reset for me because I don't have anyone's people please, (laughs) and there's no one around. I mean, my boyfriend's around and my dog's around, but there's like so much less anxiety surrounding that and it's taught me a lot which I'm, I'm grateful for in a weird way I'm grateful for this time and like the reflection I've had there was a lot that went on right before corona hit which we could get into yeah that, what's hit it but <laughs> what happened well I actually was in an outpatient program an intensive outpatient program in January and February of 2020 so for two months where I was like doing six hours of therapy, four or five days a week, full-time job. And there were, I mean, there was a lot of stuff that, that led me there just in the last few years, went through like a really, really traumatic romantic relationship and didn't really realize it until about a year, year later, as like my pattern goes, I'm like, I don't really know what's going on when it's going on. And then as time goes on and you're sinking it down, it, comes out real bad. So yeah, I had been in a very like abusive relationship and manifested for about a year after it ended. I was in it for two years and for a long time was really upset about it, obviously, but I wasn't having like the severe anxiety I did about a year later. It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like trying to solve an unsolvable problem every day couldn't sleep couldn't do anything else besides have this like 
puzzle in my head that was like I was trying to fit the pieces but there was like one piece missing it just like didn't even come with the box it was impossible to finish the puzzle like that kind of thing and just could never answer the questions that I had for myself and it drove me insane I had never felt this way in my life I was my chest was solid like cement I was just in such a dark place and I just felt so alone. Like I had never really, I had never felt like that before. And I knew I had, I had a support system and I would talk to people and I would talk through it. But then when, when it would be over, I was like, but actually nobody understands. Nobody understands what it's like living with this trauma. And I had been seeing a therapist at the time, like once a week. And after many sessions with her, it never got better. I would go in and just cry for an hour straight. I would go in, just hyperventilate for an hour straight. We tried lots of things. We tried, um, I forget what the actual name of it is, but you put two vibrating things in your hand and then you retell. Was it EMDR? Yes. So we were trying EMDR, but I felt that that was almost bringing up more and I would have like an EMDR hangover the next day and just be like, I'm wrecked. I can't do anything. Just retelling trauma just didn't really help. So my therapist suggested that I get more help. Like she was like, I just feel that I can't once a week is not good enough. You could come twice a week, but I think you need full support. So I checked myself into the intensive therapy program and it was the best thing I've ever done. And I feel like I'm just, I'm just feel so healthy after that. It was really difficult being there. I mean, I had to address stuff from my childhood all the way until I was 27 and felt like it never stopped since I was young. Like I never got to catch a breath. And then finally I got to breathe for two months straight and I've been breathing ever since. You know, the way that you're talking, I I, I bet, and we probably don't have time for it, is like you could really like explain to people like things that worked, things that didn't work, Mm -hmm. you know, in therapy, in your care. And, you know, one of the things I would just, I would just encourage people to realize is that there's kind of like a trust but verify aspect Mm -hmm. of of seeking mental health care, which is that, you know, trust that people are, for the most part, trying to do their best. But, you know, you're allowed to kind of sit there and say like, hey, am I, am I getting better? You know, right. does this does this feel right? And to see it as any other kind of as a consumer in any other situation, you know, sometimes you try something and you're like, you know, I'm, I'm going to give this some time, but I'm not getting better. And, and like, what else could I do? And and talking with people and educating yourself. And I just I just think it's it's amazing that you were able to with everything that you went through finally find the right fit. It sounds like with the help of, of your therapist who at least suggested it, but that's, that's not easy and it's not how everybody winds up. And so I, th- I think it's, right. it's excellent that you did. No, I feel so lucky. I mean, it was a huge, it was also a, just want to say it was a huge battle with my insurance, which is so just makes me so angry. I had to wait a month to go when I was like, I was literally feeling suicidal and I had to wait a month to to be able to check myself into this place because my insurance didn't like verify whatever. No, it's not, it's not whatever. It's, it's, I mean, you're, you're talking about one and you know, because my apologies, because if you want to say it's whatever, I guess it could be whatever. But <laughs> no, I don't want to get into insurance stuff. No, no, no. But, but, it's but an just, issue. it's a, it's no, it is issue. because, because it's important that people 
understand like all of the complexities of what goes into struggling with a mental health issue. And can I tell you, as horrible as it is, dealing with insurance companies is a huge stressor. Oh, it was, it's a huge part of it. I had to like call my insurance every day and be like, please, I'm about to like do something. You know, it was really, it was really difficult. But then once they finally, whatever, approved me, I was like, I'm ready to go. Let's go. Let's get this help. Let's like feel better. But, but then, you know, it didn't come right away. Obviously I was in six hours of therapy, five days a week. Didn't matter. It didn't happen overnight. Like took a long time also in the program to really figure it all out. And I don't have it, still don't have it figured all out, obviously, but I do feel fortunate that I was able to go. Like, I know I don't want to die. I'll tell you that. Like, I know I don't want to, I have a lot to live for, but there's something about, you know, you don't want to, but you feel like you can't live. And that's a confusing feeling. And I'm just grateful. I feel like I want to live. Even having a language for that, you know, like when you're talking about as a kid, not having a language for what was going on. Mm -hmm. I think, I think so many people don't have a language for understanding that exactly yes. what you're saying. Like, I, I, I want to live, but I'm having so much trouble living. And maybe I'm thinking mm -hmm. about, you know, not being here and, 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 but I don't want to do anything. And it's like just right. having people who can help you sort out the fact that unfortunately, when you struggle with mental illness, those feelings are normal, you mm -hmm. know, because you just mm -hmm. don't know what to do with all the emotional pain. Yeah. And, and, yeah. You just don't know where to put it. It doesn't have a place. So it just stays, you got to keep it in. When you find a place for it, it's, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. Can I use that to transition? Cause it was interesting listening, listening to your music. And I was trying to figure out like, okay, so like, how would I describe this? And obviously you've received <laughs> many, many accolades and people like really dig it. But, but it's funny that you just said that thing about breathing. Cause in retrospect, yeah. that's kind of what it felt like. I was kind of like, like, what is going on here? I'm like, I'm, I'm taking it in, I'm breathing it out. I'm like, I'm, I'm breathing here. There was kind of like a circulation happening. Mm. And I don't mm. know if that, <laughs> I, I don't know if that makes any sense or if that's the first time that's been said or whatever, but I'm kind of curious how this stuff plays out in your music, because I could imagine if I were having a panic attack and I was listening to your music, it's that breathing because it's not happy, happy, like everything mm. is great. But it, there's enough there to know that there's there's gravitas to it. But I felt like it kind of, I don't know, breathing. Mm -hmm. That's the only that's the only way I could describe it. At least for this record, a lot of it was written when I was in treatment. Like we'd have like 20 minutes of journaling before the day started. And a lot of lyrics were written in, in that time period. And so, so much of it is like what I learned there and what I took away or like what I had felt before I could feel release. I really gravitated to one thing called tapping or like emotion EFT, emotional freedom technique where you like, <laughs> nobody knows. <laughs> I would suggest maybe people look up a YouTube video or something. Sounds a little weird, but you just tap the pressure points on your body and I can't show it right now, but you tap the pressure points while like repeating maybe a mantra. For me, I found that I was like repeating mantras or like more manifesting. Sometimes you can be like, I forgive myself for this experience that I had no control over while you're like tapping these pressure points on your body. That was something I really, really gravitated to and felt connected to. And this album especially has 
I feel like tapping written all over it. It's like the things I would say to myself while I was tapping ended up being lyrics. So these little moments of clarity that I had while doing that mixed with what was going on before I did that to help myself. So yeah, I I do find this record to be like very like mantra based and very like self-help based trying to figure out that unsolved question I don't know if I ever get the answer I mean nobody's ever gonna really get the answer but I get a little closer and I try to help myself get a little bit closer with each song so many of the things that we do sounded weird when they were first (laughs) introduced you know, mm-hmm. the idea that massage has been around forever, you know, and the idea that like a massage would actually have some kind of benefit for your emotional well-being was something that was like, what? That's that's like, that's the hippy dippy stuff or <laughs> yeah. meditation or even EMDR. I mean, I, I was in grad school, if I remember correctly, when EMDR first came out. And I remember mm-hmm. being like, oh, what is this? Or dialectical behavior therapy, with right. mindfulness. Yeah, a lot of that. A lot of, yes. All, you know, even, even cognitive therapy, you know, things that are like standard now, like what? Like you can't, right. you can't change someone's thinking just by right. asking them what they think, you, you wacko. Like you need to do an <laughs> intensive, you know, analysis for years. And, and I think that just the idea of that natural tendency to sort of whatever we're thinking is potentially going to work for us to be like, oh, this might be weird or this might be different. It's like, no, it's like, you know, you don't know what the right thing is going to be. Maybe mm-hmm. it's exercise. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's medication. Maybe it's, you know, right. it's, it's mindfulness. Who knows? But again, like you're, you're talking about that process by which you're, you're searching for it. And that is kind of a forever process, I think. Oh, yeah. Forever and ever and ever. <laughs> Yeah, I did get to have a glimpse into all those different types of therapy, DBT, CBT, CB, yeah, CB, yeah, CBT. Um, all the BTs. <laughs> mindfulness, of course. We even had horse therapy. It was amazing. We get to walk horses and groom horses at this place I went to. It was beautiful. But yeah, there's some takeaways from some and some didn't stick. I, I took away my own thing and that's for everybody. And also people don't want to go to therapy or get help. But for me personally, it's been a game changer. So thank you for your work as a <laughs> an essential worker, an essential worker. Yeah, no. And, th- and thank you. Uh, you know, cause I, you know, it, it's funny because not really funny, but for a lot of people, music is the first entree into having Mm. any sense of how to understand their feelings. And, you know, Mm. it's interesting because you, I I read somewhere that you were talking about like how you put on your corn shirt and we just talked, you know, I talked with Brian Welch, who was uh, the guitarist of corn for going early on. (laughs) I know he, I know he would be so psyched to to know, (laughs) but it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, I think that anybody's art can be anybody's art, but when someone pours that kind of an experience in, you know, when it's, and it's not just, oh, be positive, be whatever. And it's got the, 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 the history and the gravitas of having really been through something yeah. that for a lot of people is going to help. But then when they can hear you talking about it, that's mm-hmm. the goal of, of doing this podcast is we just, we just want that kid out there who's maybe thinking to themselves, I don't know what to do with all these feelings. It's like, well, I really, 
I love Jillian as an artist. And so like she did this, you know, maybe, maybe I'll go do that. Maybe I'll check out something. Maybe I'll live that one more day. Maybe I'll get that little extra help. Um, so yeah. you know, you're, you're stepping up and not only doing it in your music, but talking about it is, is so helpful. It goes, it goes, you know, way not beyond necessarily, but it's such a huge addition to what people who are doing practitioners, you know, who are practitioners are doing in the field. Well, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah my, my music to me is like my therapy and I'm really only doing it to help myself because I need a lot of help. So the fact that it can, uh, resonate in any way for someone else is beyond my wildest dreams I'm I'm very excited about that and I've been really open about my experiences and I whenever I get like a message from someone being like I've been thinking about going to an intensive program too and I I reply like I want to let them know that that was something very important for me and I'm always open to to talk to anyone about it I mean not something that I want to hide from. <laughs> thank you for like, well, you know, ramble on about it. <laughs> no, but thank you for coming on. And uh, listen, best of luck with all your fantastic work. It's, it's, it's been great talking with you. And I know that this is going to just continue to help more people. So thank you. Thank you so much. So there it is. Jillian Medford talking about her struggle with trauma, how trauma manifested for her emotionally, and how she found the right combination of therapy and coping. There are so many takeaways from the discussion with Jillian, but I want to highlight one thing in particular, which is how difficult it can be for people to seek out and find the right care for mental health issues. Jillian described her years of struggling to find the best combination of treatment for her. Unfortunately, this is pretty common. For people who struggle with mental illness, it often takes years to even identify that they have a mental health issue. It's often dismissed as people being lazy, fearful, inappropriate, or some other description that has nothing to do with getting an accurate diagnosis, as most people would get for other health issues like diabetes, cancer, or heart disease. Then people have to, with no real knowledge of mental health treatment, try to discover the best therapy. And there are so many to choose from, delivered by so many providers at so many different places. And then if you do happen to find the right care, there is the considerable expense, as many insurance policies don't adequately cover treatment for mental illness. This is a brutal gauntlet for people to navigate, all while they are suffering and struggling in their lives. We have to continue to build on the progress we've already made to help people better identify mental illness and empower them to navigate the mental health care system to find effective and affordable care. I want to thank Consequence Podcast Network and Sound Mind Live for including me in this wonderful project, which is sponsored by Janssen Pharmaceutical Companies of Johnson & Johnson. And thanks to Pete Wilson and the Rooks for letting us use their song, I Know. If you are struggling with anxiety, depression, or addiction, and are looking for help, please call the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration National Helpline at 1-800-622-4357. If you're thinking about harming yourself and want to seek help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-8255. You may also go to the Sound Mind Live or Consequence of Sound websites for more information. So be healthy, be safe, and be kind to yourself and others. See you next time at The Crossroads. Consequence Podcast Network.